What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day, and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Fetterman-Dr. Oz debate was an absolute travesty. The Biden administration's closing argument before the midterms is taxpayer-funded child mutilation, and the new Halloween sequel is literally one of the worst movies I've ever seen and not a fitting in to the franchise. This is Can't Cancel Rob Smith. All right, Problematics, look, I I, I gotta be clear to you, it has been a very long night, a very long day of me doing Gutfeld then being um, surprised with a vegan dinner that was not a pleasant surprise, and then watching this horrible debate uh, between Fetterman and Dr. Oz, who are vying for a Senate seat in Pennsylvania. And before I get into all of that, I want to tell you about MyPillow. MyPillow is run by Mike Lindell, who has been a target of the cancel culture of the left. They have really good products. I use these pillows myself. I even got some of the slippers, which are pretty comfortable. And if you go to www.mypillow.com and use my code RS15, you will get 15% off. That's www.mypillow.com. Use code RS15 to get 15% off. All right, so let's get into this debate. In, in Pennsylvania. And before I get into to what happened tonight, which was, by the way, um, not only not good for Fetterman, but actually terrible. Because I believe that before tonight, Democrats on the left could pretend that uh, anybody that had doubts as to Fetterman's fitness 
of physical and mental fitness, whether he is is up to doing this job post-stroke. Uh, I, I think that Democrats could pretend that anybody that had any questions about this were just being mean, evil Republicans, and these were Republican talking points. And this conversation really intensified a couple of weeks ago when that NBC news reporter did that interview, and she was just basically saying that, you know, he had trouble understanding what I was asking, the questions had to be transcribed. When we had small talk before the interview, he was having problems follow following the conversation. Uh, and this person was attacked by, by Blue Check Twitter, attacked by journalists, attacked by other members of the media because apparently she didn't see, she didn't know her real role, which is not to be a journalist, but is to be a propagandist for the regime. Because what these people want is power, control, and influence at all costs, even to the point where they would choose somebody that is so obviously incompetent, so obviously unfit to serve as John Fetterman. And the debate performance was so bad. You know, what I saw of it, I saw about the first uh, hour of it. And then, you know, I, I... I did Gutfeld, then I went dinner, and then I, you know, did the, um, I saw the first hour of it, and then I just saw all of these clips that were going on online. And so, I think that when you watch the debate, you're not really thinking towards these moments. They, they, there's this weirdness in the moments. There's there's very ob- obvious cognitive issues that Fetterman is still having to this day. Um, He rambles. He drops points in mid-sentence. He goes from one thing to another. It's just very weird to watch. It's very unsettling to watch as well. And the prevailing sentiment from both the... Even the the prevailing sentiment from conservatives was that this person is not surrounded by people that care for him. Because if this person was surrounded by people that care for him and love him, there was in no way they would have him embarrass himself and, and sort of torpedo his political career in this way. And let's be clear, problematics. Fetterman embarrassed himself tonight. It's an embarrassment. This is somebody that is not fit to even be on the debate stage, let alone serving Pennsylvania in the Senate. If there was anybody around him that truly cared about him as an individual and as a person, they would have told him to bow out long ago. Certainly not, you know, this person's wife who is trying to become a de facto candidate. She's trying to, you know, speak for him. She's trying to be the one that's in the limelight. And and this isn't something that is working because like I've seen, it's just people are rejecting her. It's too pushy. It's a little too Jersey. People are just not, and no offense to anybody that's from Jersey. I know people that are from Jersey. So nobody from Jersey that's listening to this podcast can be that thin-skinned. But yes, it's too Jersey, it's too pushy, it's too much, and people aren't into it. But back to Fetterman, it was a horrific performance, okay? Uh, Probably one of the most horrific performances I've seen in a debate. It, It just did not work in any capacity. If this debate was supposed to be all about proving whether Fetterman was really fit to serve, whether this was supposed to be about saying, okay, this person can go to Senate and represent the people of Pennsylvania, um, it was a failure 
on that most fundamental level. And and I want to play for you a couple of clips because I really just want you to to get the sense of sort of what this was. And and, and I want you to listen to this answer to one of the questions. And how can a man, you know, with with you know, 10 gigantic mansions, you know, has I'm uh, willing to talk about a, a willing wage for anybody. Imagine a signal mom trying with two children, trying to raise with them, realizing making $31,000 a year, you know, $15 an hour. Signal mom. Uh, that's kind of what we're doing here. All right. Uh, and it did not get any better than this. I mean, it just got worse. Okay. It, it really, really, really did just get worse. Like I said, this is not people that are fit. Uh, these, th- this is not a person that is fit. He is not around people that is fit. And, here, and here's another moment that I want to play for you. Mr. Oz, I do want to clarify something. You're saying tonight that you support fracking, that you've always supported fracking. But there is that 2018 interview that you said, quote, I don't support fracking at all. So how do you square the two? Uh, I, I I do support fracking, and I don't I don't I support fracking, and I stand and I do support fracking. Okay, thank you, Mr. Oh boy, yeah, look, and and so that's what we're dealing with here. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time dunking on Fetterman because it's like it's like kicking a puppy at this point. Uh, it, obviously, this person should not be running. Obviously, Mr. he Oz, is. I do want to clarify. Obviously, he's not fit to serve, but this is the scary thing about this. And then, and I tweeted this as well, that there are people behind Fetterman, just like there are people behind Joe Biden, that are pushing people that are obviously not fit to be doing this and that are not up to this. They are pushing them to do these things because that puts them in a close position of power. And to me... It is, it's literally, it's diabolical. It's evil. Uh, This person needs to be recovering. This person does not need to be at all anywhere near a Senate seat, let alone a debate stage. But this is where we are. And we have people that are around him that will not say, you should not be here. You need to be going to, to go sit down. And we're going to hear a lot. You guys are going to hear a lot about this stuff today in the mainstream media and in problematics. Look, whether you're left, right or center, I know that I have people from all sides of the political aisle. I just do not see any independence watching this in saying that John Fetterman is the person that I want to send to represent me in the Senate. And you're going to see just how craven Democrats and the left are because they will, I I guarantee you, and this episode is going to come out like literally the morning after, I guarantee you guys, before the end of the day, we're going to probably be to a, these mean old Republicans are being mean to this stroke victim news cycle. That is how stupid they think you are. That is how stupid they think I am. That is how stupid they think the voters are. I was having a conversation with Tyrus backstage after we did Gutfeld tonight. Hope you guys, hopefully you guys watched um, Gutfeld, and, and I'll have some clips on my social media. And he, he was giving me a compliment. He said, well, you know, 
your stuff is funny. It's great. Like, you know, you keep it real. You're not a talking point guy. And I'm not a talking point guy. And I told him the reason that I'm not a talking point guy is because I do not think that my audience is stupid. You guys are not stupid. People are not stupid. No matter what these politicians think of you, uh, no matter what the Democrats left are saying, like, you guys are not stupid. Voters are not stupid. And the voters of Pennsylvania will see this. There is no spin that you can put on this. This is one of the most horrific uh, debate moments I've ever seen. It's one of the most horrific political moments I've ever seen. And there is just no way that anybody in their right mind is going to vote to send Fetterman to the Senate unless they are so dyed in the wool in the left Democrat cult that they are just going to send anybody there with a D behind their name, no matter what. I do not see this happening. So I would say, as a result of this debate tonight, I would tell Dr. Oz, welcome to the Senate. All right, up next, the Biden administration had a conversation with a trans influencer all about making your tax dollars subsidize medical transition and mutilation of children. Yes, it's true. And I will break that all down for you after the break. So in just the latest example problematics of Biden era lunacy, the Biden administration is going all in on the chemical castration and medical mutilation of quote unquote transgender kids. Now I'm going to play you a clip. Uh, This is from some sort of, I guess now this is one of those sort of left-leaning uh, social media platforms that claims that it's news, but it's it's really not. It's, it's leftism packaged with the sheen of news. Uh, it's one of their propaganda outlets, and, and as such, they get first cracked to do weird uh, sort of town halls with Joe Biden. Anyway, so what you're about to hear is a clip from this town hall that they did with Joe Biden with um it's about the trans health care issue right and now they're going to call it gender affirming care i have some ideas about that as well i'll get into after the clip and the person that you're going to hear interviewing joe biden the the obviously not female voice that you're hearing is this trans person named dylan mulvaney now dylan mulvaney has become enormous on tiktok i think that this person is closing in on 10 million followers on TikTok. Their claim to fame is sort of, quote-unquote, documenting their transition. So I, I think that this person will tell you they're on day, you know, 223 of their transition, and they call it, oh, I'm a girl, I'm a girl, I'm a girl. This person, when you look at this person, this person's obviously male. Uh, this person is making no attempt to pass at all, aside from wearing women's clothing. Uh, this person does not even tuck. There's a video out there where this person is just skimping around in short shorts with with a noticeable bulge. Uh, It's all completely ridiculous. And my theory about this person is that this was a comedian that started doing this as a joke. And I think that it went further than this person ever really thought that it would go. Uh, There's an element of me that, that thought that this person was still kind of in on the joke. Uh, before this thing, but now it's all getting too serious. But anyway, I'm going to play you this clip. And and before I do that, 
why don't you just listen to these are some of the the TikTok videos from this person. Like this is why this person is famous. Six being a girl and today I'm in nature. Trees, I love them. Water, lakes, I love them. Heels, they're my hiking heels. I love them. Bridges, love them. Coconut water, love it. Not an ad, just love it. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Um, now let's, let's sort of get to the good part here. Uh, Mr. President, this is my 221st day of publicly transitioning. God and, love you. Uh, thank you. I am extremely privileged to live in a state that allows me access to the resources I need, and that decision is just between me and my doctors. But many states have lawmakers that feel like they can involve themselves in this very personal process. Do you think states should have a right to ban gender-affirming health care? I don't think any state or anybody should have the right to do that as a moral question and as a legal question. I just think it's wrong. You know, I think I was saying before we started that my son, my deceased son, used to be the Attorney General of the State of Delaware. He passed the most, the broadest piece of legislation that he, as Attorney General, can, uh, was able to convince the legislature and the governor to sign that dealt with uh, all gender-affirming capability. I mean, there's a lot of you know, you sometimes they try to block you from being able to access certain medicines, being able to access certain procedures and so on. None of that should be available. I mean, uh, you know, no, no state should be able to do that, in my view. So I feel very, very strongly that uh, that you should have every single solitary right, including including use of the, your gender identity bathrooms in public. Thank you. Thank you. And it, it feels like Republicans have turned trans and non-binary people into this thing to blame society's downfall on in some ways. And this narrative is not only dangerous to our mental health, but also our physical safety. And particularly trans women of color are being murdered at an alarming rate. More than any other group of people. Thank you. How can Democratic leaders be more effective in advocating for us trans people and our families and our lives and our opportunities? I'm not being facetious when I say this, being seen with people like you. No, I mean it. I genuinely mean it. People fear what they don't know. They fear what they don't know. And when people realize, individuals realize, oh, this is what they're telling me to be frightened of? This is the problem? This is, I mean, people change their minds. People are just don't know enough to know. And it's not because of, intellectual incapability, it's just lack of exposure. And, uh, and I think that uh, it's really important that we continue to speak out about the basic fundamental rights of all human beings. And the idea, the idea that what's going on, you know, in some states, I won't get into the politics of it, but in some states, it's just, it's outrageous. And I think it's immoral. The trans part's not immoral. What they're trying to do to trans persons is immoral. Okay. Um, first of all, let's let's take out the fact that Joe Biden is barely awake during that interview. If you watch it, the man, it's like he's barely awake. He doesn't really know what he's talking about. He seems tired. It's just very, like, number one, it is just very weird. 
And so let's talk about this whole issue with quote unquote trans kids, which I bet is something that you probably never even heard of before maybe 10 years ago. And you know why? Because they didn't exist before the internet. (laughs) These people did not exist before social media. They did not exist before, uh, you know, they're becoming this. uh, It is just very strange to me that the left and that the Biden administration and the Democrats have now become the party of child transition and mutilation. And when we talk about gender-affirming care, quote-unquote, this is one of the things that the left does with um, a lot of things. They sort of put this, this, this sheen on it. This is the way that they use language. And if you've been listening for long enough problematics, you know one of the things that I always point out is the ways in which they use language. And so what they when they say gender affirming care, what they really mean is the medical mutilation and transition of young children. They put them on quote unquote puberty blockers, which they will tell you are completely reversible. Uh, these puberty blockers are not completely reversible. In fact, they have been known to lead to infertility. Um, they have been known to lead to these children not being able to go through puberty. Upwards of 80% of these kids who are experiencing gender dysphoria or gender non-conforming young people, upwards of 80% of these people are more likely than not to just be gays and lesbians. So when the left talks to you about banning conversion therapy, uh, this is, to me, the 2022 example of gay conversion therapy. It is forcibly medically transitioning gender non-conforming children just so that the parents can feel a little bit better. And what you see with a lot of this stuff on social media is that you see a lot of these people that have quote-unquote trans kids, they will have multiple kids that are transgender. Oh, quote-unquote. And these kids just so happen to be the children of far-left LGBT activists. It is so weird, so disturbing and so fundamentally wrong that I cannot speak out strongly enough against this. And I know that there's this movement right now, thank God there is. You know, Daily Wire's Matt Walsh did uh, this documentary called What is a Woman? There was just a rally in Nashville to end this practice. There's this group, Gays Against Groomers, that is now coming out and saying that, you know, leave these kids alone. Let them go through puberty. Let them go through these things that they're going through right now to just go through it and become regular gay and lesbian adults. Now, for me, like, obviously, I'm gay. I was never gender nonconforming when I was young. I always liked boy things. I always liked male things. I didn't play with Barbies. I didn't want to wear dresses, anything like that. But the fear that I have here is that, but, you know, when I when I first came out, my family did have an issue with me being gay. They had a problem with it. And we can't, you know, I'm not going to lie and say that they did not have an issue with it. But, of course, I didn't come out until I was 19 years old, and I had been out of the house by two years paying my own bills at that point. So there's nothing that my parents could really do to me. And my fear is this, that some of these parents that are out here, and you'll see this sometimes, too, you'll see some you know conservative and Republican-leaning parents feeling so proud of themselves for, feeling, uh, for doing the right thing because they have this quote-unquote trans child. And 
what I personally think is that there's nothing more deeply homophobic than this movement than this movement to medically and socially transition children. Because what you were saying right now is that you don't want an effeminate boy and you don't want a masculine woman. What you're saying is that knowing that these kids are likely, more likely than not, going to grow up gay. What you're saying is that you do not want this gay child. It would be more acceptable for you to put them on this medication and go through this process and do all of this other stuff, which, by the way, uh, these kids are going to be medicalized for life. This is not a, 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 a one-shot deal. You're on these medications for life. And there are people that have come out, and I've told you guys this, this before, problematics. There are people who are now starting to speak out against transitioning there are people who are coming out of that transition and they are saying that this is the wrong thing they're saying that my body uh my voice my hair all of these things have been fundamentally permanently altered okay and now these voices are coming out so when you have an administration to bring this back to the lunacy that is going on in the White House right now, when you have an administration saying not only uh, do we condone this, not only are we going to stop states from making this illegal, which, by the way, I think that states should completely ban this because there are no long term effects uh, there are no long-term studies on the effects of this that exist in the United States. The only long-term study has been done in Sweden, I believe it is. And it found that the suicide rate and the rate of unhappiness and the mental health issues and all of these things went up long-term, not down. So this should not be something that is happening until it has been studied. And so now the left is taking the position that this is what they're running on every single election. This is what they want to do. This is how they are going to try to curry favor, quote unquote, with the LGBTQ community. Because they know that they're really talking to the TQs. They're not talking to gay men and lesbians. I think that there are a lot of gay men and lesbians that may not necessarily be the typical coastal uh, gay and lesbian liberal that are starting to realize more and more that Democrats have nothing to offer us. You want to talk about the gay and lesbian community, gays and lesbians, especially particularly gay men, are the most well-educated, highest-earning cohort of people in America. If you think these guys, which, by the way, make up still... <laughs> 80% of the quote-unquote LGBTQ community. Uh, no matter how much they try to force upon you this idea that the vast majority of the people in this community are trans people or, les or you know, uh, drag queens or people like that, the vast majority of this cohort are gay men. And I think that gay men are starting to realize that Democrats on the left have nothing to offer us anymore. But the Biden administration looks crazy. They look ridiculous. And this is one of the many, many reasons they are about to get absolutely demolished in a couple of weeks here. All right, coming up, folks. Halloween ends is the worst ending to a iconic horror series I've ever seen. And I'm going to tell you why after the break. 
All right, Problematics, look, if you know anything about me, if you've been listening to this show, if you follow me on social media, you know that I absolutely love horror movies. I love horror movies so much. It is my favorite genre of movies. In fact, and it's spooky season, Halloween is one of my favorite horror movies of all time, if not my favorite horror movie of all time. So a couple of weekends ago, I was very, very, very excited to see Halloween Ends, which is billed as the final showdown between Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode and Michael Myers. This was the big showdown. This is over 40 years in the making. We are going to be treated to a battle royale between Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers. We were so excited. I was just ready to go. I was ready to be scared. I was ready to be thrilled. I was ready to be shocked. I was ready to be surprised. I was ready to be so many things that I just was not by that utter, utter travesty of a movie. And by the way, what follows are going to be some spoilers if you have not seen Halloween Ends. The biggest issue with Halloween Ends is that this is not the battle royale between Laurie Strode and Michael Myers that we were all led to believe. It's certainly not by the advertising. What it is, is it is this weird sort of origin story about how, you know, a a town sort of craps all over this kind of loser guy who accidentally, and again, spoiler alert, because probably the first scene... Uh, is the best part of this entire movie. It's the only genuinely shocking or surprising thing in the entire movie. So, spoiler alert. Again, spoiler alert. A male babysitter accidentally kills a kid at the beginning of the movie. He becomes a pariah in Haddonfield, a pariah in the town. And so, he ends up connecting with and falling in love with Laurie Strode's granddaughter, uh, and they sort of go on this journey of falling in love and, and being bound by trauma because they both feel like outcasts and Haddonfoot and it's this weird sort of indie romance and they're twirling each other's hair and on rooftops and all of this other stuff that doesn't really have anything to do with the Halloween movie. All the while, Michael Myers is still alive and has been living in some sort of tunnel Uh, underneath a bridge for the past four years he's just disappeared and so at the end of Halloween Kills which is the middle sequel which I you know I didn't even really like Halloween Kills but it was it's practically uh, a classic compared to this nightmare but at the end of Halloween Kills the case was to be made that maybe Michael Myers is supernatural he you know he just he basically slaughters the entire town in just sort of this very violent uh, blood and guts orgy that sort of finishes Halloween Kills. And so you're getting the thought, and then, you know, Laurie Strode has this voiceover that says, you know, maybe it's killing that makes him more powerful, maybe it's the destruction, maybe it's the death, all of this other stuff. So so we are being led to believe that that maybe there's something supernatural going on here. And so now when we come back to it, four years later, we see Michael Myers is just this, you know, sad old, you know, man living in some tunnel. He's maybe killed a couple of people over the years, but anyway, Corey crosses paths with Michael Myers, and then Corey starts killing people, and the whole movie is about his descent into evil. It is just not good, folks. In the box office is speaking to how bad it is. 
So Halloween Ends opened well below expectations at 41 million. It was projected, it was supposed to do about 50 million its opening weekend. And then they say, oh, well, you know, it's because they released it on Peacock at the same time, and that eats into. And they say that, um. And. And so the, the audience did not show up. This movie opened well below expectations. It was supposed to open to 50 million, ended up opening to 41 million, dropped like a stone to single digits in its second weekend. This speaks to how much people absolutely hated it. There's even a petition that is calling for uh, this movie to be remade. Okay? Um... And this is a little, you know, like I said, I, I don't like to do politics all the time. I want to talk a little bit about entertainment because I love horror movies. And I'm going to read you. This is what the petition says. You know, about 13,000 people have signed this. This is what the petition says. Halloween Ends was not a film that the fans wanted. This was an origin story. The Corey story. We deserve a movie worthy of Michael Myers and the Halloween franchise. We love this franchise wholeheartedly, and this version of a Halloween movie left us sad, mad, disappointed, and infuriated. Please give us a movie that shows us what Halloween is really about, our apex predator, the king of slasher movies, Michael Myers. This movie gave us a weak, pathetic Michael who needed his mask to survive, this isn't our Michael Myers. Our killer is strong, relentless, and unstoppable. Please write this wrong. We beg of you. So the fans are not happy with this. I am a fan that was just not happy with this. And, and I got to tell you, I got to be honest. When I first saw this movie, this is my first thought. My first thought was, I did not like this, but I understood what they were trying to do. And then, as it says, why I didn't do a podcast on this when it first came out. And then when it sat in my head just a little bit, and it just sat, and it sat, and it sat. And I started to realize, not only did I not like this movie, even though I understood what they were trying to do, I hated this movie. I hated that they spat in the face of fans. I hated that they took the opportunity to do the closing chapter well, of this story. In an iconic franchise with two iconic characters and gave them the short shrift. Laurie and Michael Myers don't even face off until like maybe the last, it's like 15 minutes at the end of the movie. Like it's not, I mean, and there were just so many things that could have happened. If you've seen the first two movies, Lindsay Wallace, uh, who was played by Kyle Richards of the Real, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills fame. She's in the movie, so she survived Halloween Kills and she's completely wasted in this movie. They don't do anything with her. She's in a couple of scenes. She doesn't get stalked. She doesn't. She's not involved in anything. She literally just disappears. Uh, there's a scene at the end where they throw, like, you know, Lori kills Michael. She like she slits his throat. She slits his wrist. It's very violent. And then they throw him into this garbage compactor. Like just literally, just sorry, it's not coming back from that, right? So this is, they ended this. And I, I don't even believe Lindsay Wallace is even in that scene. So I got to tell you, if you have not watched this travesty yet, do not. To the people in Hollywood that just want to do what they want to do with things 
that means so much to so many people. Oh my God, I wish that they would stop them from doing this. And I know it's not the last Halloween movie. There's going to be other Halloween movies and I'm going to see them. I see all, I see every piece of horror trash that comes out. Because I just love horror movies. They're my comfort zone. It's one of my favorite things. And especially in this time of the year, um, I love them very, very, very much. And I hope that when they inevitably reboot Halloween again, uh, I just hope that they make it better. I hope that they don't take it so seriously. And I I really do want them to make a movie for the fans because Halloween ends this movie was not for the fans. I do not know who this movie was for. Uh, It wasn't for me. It was certainly not for anybody that grew up on Halloween that loved this franchise. So two words for Halloween ends, hated it. Or maybe more words, hated, hated, hated it. Do not see it. It is not doing well, and this is exactly why. Because it is just not a good movie. All right, Problematics, thank you so much for joining me. As always, you can catch Can't Cancel Rob Smith every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday on iHeart Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.